I'm Rick Cushman, and this episode of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul is sponsored by the 2019 Vancouver International Wine Festival. So, Paul, would you go to Vancouver to drink wine? I would go to Vancouver for any reason at all. It's one of the most magical cities in the world. Great food, great hotels, fabulous scenery. One of my favorite places. Yeah, well... Turns out I'm going there to drink wine. I'm going to the wine festival. You know, I thought they had higher standards than yeah, that. Right? Well, they're letting me in. And I was going to keep that on the down low because yeah, I didn't want to scare people off. But I thought, you know, <laughs> you got to say it out loud. you got to warn them. Yeah. yeah and, and, and truthfully, you know, it's just it's a pretty good thing to go to. So you're going to the festival? I am. You know, good. when we were there last year, people did seem to be enjoying themselves even though you and I were there. Even though we were there? Although yeah. I did notice people avoiding you at all costs. I can't blame them, really. That's um, uh, yeah. what happens. Uh, so this is a pretty terrific festival, isn't it? 16 countries, winemakers and principals from 160 different wineries, tastings, brunches, seminars, dinners, really wonderful seminars. It's a treat. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <coughs> warning on the seminars there, folks. Uh, Paul's going to be leading a few of those. Yes, you, I am. <coughs> you can't avoid him, however. Um, you don't really have to go to all his seminars. In fact, you don't have to go to any of Paul's seminars. You can just hang out with me. We'll, yeah, Rick... we'll walk around, drink wine, and make fun of Paul. <laughs> Rick never goes to any of my seminars. I try not to. <laughs> By the way, we need to say, before I go too far down the road, um, that it is February 23rd to March 3rd. Right. 23rd uh, to March 3rd. A whole, yep. whole week and a day. Um, and and uh, you, there's a special offer. Uh, there, is there not? There is if you book a ho- downtown hotel, a hotel through Vancouver, Stay Vancouver Hotels. That's Stay Vancouver Hotels. Um, you have an option of a, up to 35 downtown hotels. And if you book that, you get a free ticket, a free ticket to one of the international festival tastings, which would save you 100 bucks right there. Right. Yeah. That, those right. are great things. Yep. And it's uh, uh, stayvancouverhotels.com. Com, not d- dot .ca, as you might expect. Right. And then uh, book that before February 14th. And with 35 hotels, chances are you're going to be staying at a different hotel than Rick Cushman. Yeah, well, that's that's a good thing because I'm a snorer. Yes. And so, um, by the way, you know, among those uh, wineries pouring, there's lots of good ones from Canada, particularly Nova Scotia and British Columbia's own Okanagan Valley. Okanagan Valley. Yep. We, but the theme this year is California. And so, Paul, once again, why go to California, to Vancouver to taste California wine? Because they're really nice people there. There's really great food. It's a world-class event. Why wouldn't you go to Vancouver? Yeah, even when we're there. Even when we're there. All right, so go to Vancouver. Go discover some outstanding wine and food in one of the world's great cities. Listen to Paul or not. Or just hang out. Yeah, hang out with me. We'll make fun of Paul. (laughs) That's the Vancouver International Wine Festival, February 23rd to March 3rd. Details, schedules, programs, all kinds of stuff, including maps to avoid Paul, uh, are at (laughs) vanwinefest.com. Vanwinefest.ca. Remember, it's Canada. Um, Really, just Google Vancouver Wine Festival. You'll find it. Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. It's New Year, Paul. Time for new ideas, new outlooks. And old ways of writing about wine is my guess, Rick. Exactly. So to ring in the new year and to celebrate the fact that we have somehow survived this long on the air, we're going to breeze through a few points on what has and has not changed in our beloved world of wine, especially in the attempts to communicate it. Well, not much has changed there, Rick. Uh, correct again. Nothing has changed. And won't this be fun? <laughs> also today, listeners ask about uh, how the 2018 vintage seemed to turn out, how, how long wine can sit on a shelf, and whether wine tastes different in the mountains. Yes, it does. Might be differently. How it tastes in the mountains. Uh, plus, our horrible wine writing is perfect for the start of the year because it includes so much that is horribly common. And as usual, we will make fun of wine stops. Yep. 
By the way, a couple of reminders. Here we are yet still on Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup. Recommended Recommended podcast lineup. Recommended on a Sacramento's NPR station. You'd think they would know better, wouldn't you? You'd think. We're also on Napa Broadcasting, a network that comes at Napa Valley College, Paul. Um, The institution of higher learning, top-rated community college in California, and and yet yet, you teach there. Yet I teach there. Yep, yep. Exactly. All right, don't forget to look for us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Rick uh, Rick and Paul Wyandotte. Excuse me, I'll get that out at Rick and Paul Wine. Good. Uh, go there, ask us a question anytime. And one more reminder seriously, come join us at the Vancouver International Wine Festival. That's yep. February 23rd to March 3rd. It's really fun. It's Vancouver. It's a great time. It's a great time. All right. So, uh, because international uh, trade laws require any media involved with any product, service, or piece of culture to pompously announce trends, as we always do at the start of the Oh, yes. I see trends ahead, Rick. Well, we're going to pompously do. That's what we're going to do. So, Paul, what trends ahead do you see? Nothing. I think things are pretty much going to stay the way they are. One big demographic change got announced the other day, Rick. We are no longer, I am no longer part of the (laughs) largest generation in America, baby boomers have been displaced by millennials. Yes, there's there's more millennials than there are boomers. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, <clears throat> so finally, number one, that somebody needs to. But well, you know, the thing having about, said that, the wine world is still a wine world. Yes, not much, and and really, uh, a couple more heads here or there isn't going to change much. <laughs> and that's the thing is that wine writers and really all white writers have to come up with stuff at this time of year. I mean, I was one of them. I remember having to do that, and and it's. It's always some new number because there's a new number on the calendar, some new prediction of some new region, some right. new grape. I right. remember my favorite was last year, and I, I wrote this down as a little note in our little file that uh-huh. I was going to look uh-huh. at it this year. One guy predicted that we're going to all be drinking Cab Franc. And by the way, it was in a major magazine, and in that same issue, their critics savaged Cab Franc. <laughs> <laughs> well, not much has changed because nobody's drinking Cabernet Franc, although Rick still likes Cabernet Franc. I do. So do I. I, do. I had a rosé of yeah. Cabernet Franc the other night. It was delicious. Right. So, so, you know, when you see all the stories about new grapes and new wine regions, you know, take it all with a grain of – take it all with a glass of wine. What the heck? Give them a try. That's right. That's but, right. But don't – you know, it's, it's – they were there before. They're going to be there after. Yes, um, they are. Yes. All right. Yep. So, however, so let's just take a look at some of the general forces that are at work in the in the wine world rather okay. than like, okay. trends. And um, and one big one is that we're still seeing that wine consumption is growing, but not as fast as it used to. Right. Although where it's growing is not so much at the lower price categories, more in the upper price categories. Right. So people aren't necessarily drinking a lot more wine, but they are tending to drink slightly better wines. I'd like to think it's because of our podcast. I think so, too. Uh, I think that uh, people are uh, – one of the trends is that when people buy wine, they tell the, the clerk that they bought they, – they heard about us. That's what they do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, maybe not. Yeah. So another one, and this is one that drives me a little nuts because you know everybody's got this prediction. It's the Cab Franc prediction, is that right. there's going to be some new grape you've never heard of. Is now the major grape. It's now the major grape. Paul, the, what are the major grapes? The top three grapes in California have been the top three grapes in California for thirty years: Chardonnay, yeah. Cabernet, Merlot. Yeah, and you know Chardonnay and Cabernet, which are always last year's grape according to the trend people. Yeah, there's this year's grape too. More and, than more than double the acreage. Rick, I have a prediction. What's that? Next year. Cabernet and Chardonnay <laughs> are going to be the biggest. Yeah. You know what? I'll take that bet. I mean, I'm on that bet. I'm, <laughs> You're I'm on with that you. Bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we Frank, need, Devin, can we? Can we? <laughs> <laughs> just, let's, I don't know. Find us. Find us somebody who's willing to bet us. All right? right. So and and the other thing too is and this is great. I mean, I, I love that wine writers get try to get people to to discover new places. That's great. Sure. Really a great thing. Yep. 
Um, but the major regions are still going to be the major regions. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Although I did a tasting last night at Napa College for my students. We were tasting wines from unusual places from the ancient world. Mm. We had wines from Georgia, Armenia, Turkey, Greece, even a wine from Morocco. Nice. Israel. Fun. Fun wines, interesting wines, well-made wines. Why not? Right. If you find them, try, uh, try them. If you find them, try them. And why I, not? I, and I, two places that that I've um, been discovering over the last couple of years, and mm-hmm. and their wines are getting better and better. Is one is the region of Mount Etna in Italy. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. you know it's the volcanic mountain, and 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 really this is it's not hard to remember what to get: Bianco, and and Rosso. Bianco. Uh-huh. They're the white, the red, the red blend. See that you really? folks didn't know. Rick speaks fluent Italian. Ciao. <laughs> um, and wines from Greece too. I, I think you know, uh, yeah. well, there's a lot of great wines from Greece. Yep. But you know, it's just like we say, don't worry about the prediction of the hot region. Just try them. Just try them for fun. Yeah. So here's another good thing, and 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 they are uh, apparently those younger folks are coming for you, Paul. Um, that one of the things that we do know, and we see this in restaurant services all the time, is that younger people are more wine knowledgeable and. More adventurous. More adventurous. Which bodes well for wine, I think. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and it's because they're they're not they're not stuck. Uh, well, they're not mind. stuck the way the, the way, way the way Rick is. Well, I was going to say the way wine writers are, but that's, <laughs> yeah, boy, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, me too. I've okay. I just can't move. Um, so, uh, but the other thing though is they also are more knowledgeable, and interested, and adventurous in beer and spirits. So, right, and coffee for that matter. I yeah. mean, they're just more adventurous and knowledgeable about what they put in their bodies. Yeah, where have we been, Paul? Where have we? Been? We have been drinking Cabernet and Chardonnay and eating steak and chicken. Well, and surf Ma- and turf. Uh, Mount Etna Rosso too. There you go. Right. Um, and I think uh, one thing we can say that will be uh, consistent in the wine world again is that restaurants, will, res- restaurant wine lists, many of them will continue to be inten- inten- intimidating. I'll get it out. Intimidating. And, or at least confusing. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, indecipherable in some cases. That's um, right. So this was actually a fun thing because right at the end of the year, Jordan Winery commissioned a poll. Right. End of 2018. Mm-hmm. They do, they've done this for a few years now. Yeah. Well, I like this poll because mm-hmm. what it says is 64% of Americans, that's basically two-thirds, are more likely to drink wine at home than at a restaurant. Exactly right. So what does that tell you about wine lists? It, yeah. Yeah. Well, it tells you wine pricing in restaurants is high. It tells you wine service in restaurants can be intimidating. It tells you that people like wine. They just find drinking it in a restaurant setting is maybe less attractive than drinking it at home. Well, and, it, and also those mysterious lists because the other thing they found was that uh, the Americans vast majority are, are more likely to play it safe and buy a brand they know. Well, especially when in a restaurant it's going to be more expensive than in a store. The last thing you want to do is try something you've never tried before and find out that it, you don't like right. it. So right. you want to go with something Fair tried, trusted, and true. Right, right. You know, and <clears throat> I'm, I keep going back to this survey, uh, the Cornell School of Hotel Administration we've used, and they do this yes. pretty regularly. And they're, they're a great school. They, they do are. wonderful stuff. You know, for the, all those mysterious wine lists, they say that, that if you have wines on the list, that people recognize you sell far more you wine. You sell more wine. 30 to 40% more. Yes. So if you yep. listen to us out there, cool sommeliers, uh, don't don't be so cool that the you're— The cool sommeliers aren't listening to us, Rick. It's only the only the uncool sommeliers that are listening to who us. Who are actually making money for the restaurants. <laughs> I'm just going to say it straight out there, Paul. Excellent. All right. Okay, good. Uh, okay. Um, well, uh, let's. Uh, I think that's probably it for trends for now. We, okay. We uh, we we have other trends, but we'll we'll well. We're trendy people. We are. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's what they say about us. Um, they say. So what we, do they say about wine writing? What is the trend in the future for wine writing? 
Terrible as always. <laughs> terrible as always. Overblown. Overblown. <laughs> overblown. Speaking of overblown, by the way, I think it's time for us to take a couple questions. Okay. All right. So uh, you are listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. And uh, when you would like to ask us a question, there are many ways to do it. You can go to our website, rickandpaulwine.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Rick and Paul Wine. Look for us on iTunes, all kinds of fun places. Cool. All right. So the first one, I'm a little reluctant to read. But it isn't actually a question. It's an email from one, and I'm not because it's from who it's from, because he's one of our most loyal listeners, a guy named Kevin Ostrowski in the lovely uh, burg of Beaver, Beaver, Pennsylvania. Beaver, PA. Be, and he says this. This is the part. Congratulations to you, Paul, on the American Wine Society's Award of Merit. This is what this is Kevin saying it, not me. <laughs> he said, this is Kevin again. It's difficult to say that the plaque and recognition is a fair exchange for the work and support you've given us. I hope you know how much everyone in society appreciates what you've done for us. Also, it was excellent chatting with you at the reception, president's reception, and I thank you for that as well. So here's what I know, Paul. Yep. He is a patient man. Why is that? He liked to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. We had a great conversation. Yeah. Kevin's a great guy, and the whole organization is a great organization. I would encourage our listeners to join a chapter nearby if they've got one because great people, and you know what they do? They Every month they wine. get together and they drink wine. So this really and 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 a group like that. That's what's a, not to like? It's a great way to go at it because these are people yep. that are just enthusiastic. Yep. It's not about snobbiness. It's not about what you know. It's just about yep. this is fun. If we want to learn something, this is a way to do it. That's it. You can also just enjoy yourself. Yep. All right. Thanks, Kevin. <clears throat> so we do have a question or two. This one is from Heather in Burlingame. Cool. And this is a very good question. Actually, we probably should have talked about this in, the, in our trendy things, but <laughs> thank you, Heather, for keeping us on the subject. She says, with all the fires and the mild summer and all of that, what's the outlook for the 2018 vintage in Northern California? It's well, actually rather surprising. It's, it's so far from what we've been hearing. Everybody's reasonably happy. Yeah. Uh, and not just in Northern California, but around the world yeah. seems to be a pretty solid vintage. Yeah. Uh, and a big one around the world. Volumes yeah. are up. So yeah. it looks like 2018, uh, going to be good wine, plenty of it. Time to have a party. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the things, and I've had a couple of winemakers in a couple of different regions sort of talk about the same thing. You know, those early fires right. that had smoke um, high in the atmosphere. One of the things they did was the smoke was high in the atmosphere, so there wasn't much threat of smoke taint in places, and most of the North Coast or in the foothills. Right. But what it did was it filtered the sun a bit. Yep. And so what it allowed them to do was give their grapes some pretty good sun exposure without them without getting the sunburned, right? Yep. So they got yep. long, this yep. long, mild summer of flavor Kinda development. like that hat you wear, right? Yes. It allows me to stay out there and not get sunburned. Um, <laughs> I, think I, I think I need to get a bigger one, though, because I, I feel my brain is cooking. <laughs> so actually— Look for look for 2018 on the bottle. And you'll winemakers start, are smiling. You'll start seeing those whites in about 12 months. Yep. All right. And Unless. then this one is from uh, 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 Ian in SoCal, which is down SoCal, which is down there near uh, Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz in yeah. the mountains. And he yep. says, I understand that at least one of you is also a mountaineer. That would be Paul. Uh-huh. Uh, so I wondered if you have an opinion on the kinds of wines we should drink in the mountains. I strongly this is uh, still Ian saying, I strongly prefer sweet wines around camp. Uh, note, I don't drink while climbing. Good move there. <laughs> Good move. Smart <laughs> and, man, Ian. He says our, our all-time favorite is the white Muscat dessert wine called Vin de Glacier. Uh-huh. Uh, does your choice of wine change in the mountain? That's a good question. Well, and first yes, of all, w- uh, wine flavors change at altitude. Right. 
Um, I love the fact that he's drinking a wine from the glaciers as he's as he's. I suspect that might be the reason they found. Yeah, it, that's yeah. a pretty <laughs> that's a pretty subtle little line there. Ian. Yeah, Ian, you get points for that one. Yeah, but remember that when you're at high altitude, the the atmosphere is thinner. There are fewer molecules in the air, and that means there are fewer molecules that can carry the aroma of the wine up to your nose. Right. So in general, wines taste a little less flavorful and a little more austere. And the wonderful thing about drinking a white Muscat dessert wine is Muscat is one of the most aromatic wines on the planet. And so it does a beautiful job of still smelling and tasting good even at high altitude. Right. And when you're up high, the odds are uh, the air is dry as well. So you're right. smelling even less well. Yep. You know, and it's the same thing about airplanes, by the way. They, you yeah. know, that's why you get big yeah. flavored wines for airplanes. So, so yep. yeah, that's exactly right is if you're packing for a high altitude trip or something and you want a wine, yep. something with really big aromatics. And the Sweetness comes through for sure, and yeah, and yeah. Ian does subtly mention this. Remember that at altitude, um, the alcohol hits you harder. Yeah. So you want to be careful of your consumption. And yeah, I although I have to admit, my wife and I, when we go backpacking, if we carry wine, and admittedly, we're backpacking, so we got to carry everything. So we're not taking a six pack of uh, dessert wine up into the mountains with us. But we do occasionally take a, a small bottle of something. And usually it's something light and fresh because that seems to go best with most of those delicious freeze dried dinners we're eating yeah, up there in yeah. the mountains. The other option is you you get a good bottle of brandy and you pour it in a plastic bottle. Well, that or you get a mule. Or, well, you know, that's where I also where I do it. <laughs> By the end of the trip, the mule won't talk to me. <laughs> okay. All Which right. is the difference between the mule and the people because yeah. they won't talk to you at the beginning that. of the trip. <laughs> that's true. The mule's a little more patient. In it. <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, that's it for questions for now. We'll have more in just a bit. Uh, you are, of course, listening to Bottle Talk with Brick and Paul. And up next, we've got some really horrible wine writing to start your year. So this is a good top-of-the-year collection for some really horrible wine writing. Yeah, and I've got one sent to us by Jill, our friend Jill, yeah. in our loyal Fresno enclave Yeah, we've been, we're hearing a lot from our loyal yeah, listeners. God I think it's the them. turn of the year. And remember, Be- Fresno's on your way to Sequoia and Kings Canyon, yeah, so true. they're right by the mountains there. Yeah, you know what it is? I think, I think it's the turn of the year. You know, and people get sentimental, and they're feeling sorry for us. So <laughs> Their thoughts so turn to charity, and give, we come to mind. Let's give them some help. <laughs> <laughs> so she says, I saw this description, and I'm not sure I know what any of these words mean except for (laughs) and, (laughs) which is a wonderful introduction. So here's the description. Beautiful lift, tight, focused, persistent, and exact. (laughs) Sounds like a pencil. Well, or I was thinking of a slide rule for those of us who are old (laughs) enough. Doesn't sound like wine, does it? Does not. No. And, um... Could be red, could be white, could be pink, could be bubbly, yeah. could be anything you want. Nobody has any idea what this well, wine uh, is. I, well, I'll give the writer one. Uh, one, the writer probably put the name of the wine there, so you know it. You know, it, maybe Smith and Wesson Chardonnay or something. And but, uh, and you do need to point out that it says beautiful lift. Yeah, so beautiful is a word. So it means the so lift, it means that the writer liked the wine. Yeah, yeah, but. So whatever that lift yeah, yeah. is, is uh, these are, you know. You should drink a wine with lift, Rick. You're a little short. Yes. Well, I, I actually wear them. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> you wear beautiful lifts? I, I wear beautiful lifts, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, That you are not focused. I am. I Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't know what to no. begin. And, you know, the, the persistent, I think, we're going to see has a good finish, long finish. 
Probably. I guess, yeah. Probably. You know what? Persistent is ne- has never seemed to me an attractive word to describe a finish. No. What do you think an exact wine is, Paul? Well, exactly, Rick. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I think you hit it on the head there. Uh, okay. Well, mine is not one. It's not one thing. It's actually a thing that had been annoying me. So I collected these. Was you know you, we talk a lot about how um, headlines from stories and magazines uh, to, to try to get click, get you to click on them. Basically, they're right. online. Right. And it's clickbait. And of, and of course, Rick, as a journalist, will tell you that it is usually not the writer. Who writes the headline? Yeah, though in the case of a lot of these blogs uh, or the, uh, the websites, it's entirely possible Ooh, they're all okay. they're working in, in throwing in some shade on the writers the themselves. Things. Well, in some of these cases, yes. Okay, um, but these are the things where you know it's the idea is that you're a horrible person, you're terrible at drinking wine, unless unless. You know what this person knows. If you, if you, so these are these are all real headlines. I didn't make any of these up. I was, I, I don't have to. Right. That came in in my email in basket in the last like month. I think I right. started collecting these at the beginning of yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. last month. Eleven questions about prosecco you're afraid to ask. <laughs> like somebody's afraid to ask a question about prosecco. Oh dear God, I can't ask that. Not about prosecco. Yes, and and right behind that, nine questions about Beaujolais. You're too embarrassed to ask. And, and these were some of the questions. What is the best? Well, gosh, who would ask? ask who that? would want to ask a or question like that? How much do I have to pay for good Beaujolais? Oh, of course, I'd be embarrassed. And can I pair this with food? <laughs> <laughs> what would that person? What would you think of some? A couple others. Ten things you're doing wrong in a wine shop. Uh, reading this column. Exactly. That right. would be number one. Yeah. And this is, I really hate this one. Don't embarrass yourself in front of your sommelier. Yeah. Well, that's the sommelier's job to make you make sure that you are yes. not embarrassed no yes. matter what you do. That's their job. Yeah. And included in this one, by the way, uh, Paul, was uh, one of your faves. One of the bits of advice was don't ask for a wine that's smooth. Great. Because that's what you want. Right. So don't ask but for that. But you can't actually use that word. You have no, to no. Imply, don't ask for that. Imply smooth without actually saying smooth. <laughs> that's what you do, Rick. And then there was a ton of these, and I hate these, and I'll go on and on about this, is, is how to taste like a pro. How to taste like a pro, buy like a pro, I don't know. Right. Shower like a pro. Right. No, how about yeah. just how to drink? How, how about how to get the wine bottle open so you can ignore the rest of this and just have a glass of wine? <laughs> Always open the small end of the bottle. That's Rick. the key. That's the absolute secret to wine <clears throat> appreciation. Small end of the bottle. I think that's all you need to know. Yep. And, you know, open open part of the glass, I think, is the other part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You right. want to pour it in the— Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we've been, we've been gripey and, and mean-spirited, so I think it's time for uh, some stuff that we love. Okay. So, Paul, this is your baby. What would you bring us? Well, you know, I just wanted to say a few words because we mentioned the American Wine Society. We mentioned every broadcast we talk about in Napa Valley College. Yeah. And I just have to tell you, I just finished teaching a whole semester up there. The most enthusiastic, committed, intelligent students. Uh, just it's an absolute delight to get up and talk about wine with these folks. Average age, 30, 35. They work in the wine industry. They really know a lot. And it's so much fun to teach a class of people like that. And I just love talking wine with people who care about it. I might also suggest, and, and uh, Paul, students don't take this the wrong way. I might also suggest the word stubborn because <laughs> despite the fact you're teaching the class, they refuse to leave. They keep coming back. Yeah, They yeah. keep coming yeah, back. It's yeah. amazing. No, it's good. And uh, I, it's been a while, but I've talked to your class, one of your classes once, and it, they were really a Never good again, bunch. right? Yeah, I know. Well, uh, never they again. asked that it not be yeah. returned. Yeah. yeah. I, but. And it's that same thing with the American Wine Society. Those people are so enthusiastic. You yeah. get up, and they just love to talk about wine, and that's the fun of it. Right, right. And that's that's the great thing about with all the instead of that 
be a pro stuff. You know, just yeah. it's fun. Have fun. Yeah, have, have fun. fun. All right. Well, speaking of fun, uh, we are going to take a few more questions. Cool. Ruin somebody else's day. Um, <laughs> a reminder one more time, rickandpaulwine.com or uh, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at rickandpaulwine. And, of course, look for us on iTunes. Okay, so this is from Karen in Sacramento. Also a good start of the year question, by the way, which, okay. which is what vintage should I be drinking now? What are the best vintages to look for in the store? Okay. All right. So complicated question because there's a million wine regions around the world. And the truth is these days vintage makes a lot less difference than it used to make 30 or 40 years ago. So I would say in most cases when you walk into a wine shop and they have the current vintages, those are what you should yeah, be drinking. Yeah, I think that's what she's asking is what are the current vintages? In other words, what – like – You know, you know for you know, reds, by the time we're, <clears throat> we're, we're, you know, we're, into, we're into 2019, so the reds are going to be the 2015s, 16s, maybe some 17s. Maybe some 17s, right. None of those are bad years. Yeah. Uh, for whites, you're looking at stuff. Sometimes the whites – you'll see some of these whites, the 2018s hit the market well, like, later like this we year. Say, yep. Yeah, um, so and, and I would say lots of those. Yeah. I would say if you if you want to make a nice generalization, whites generally younger, reds generally older. Couple though, you know. But it, you know, it's drink drink the stuff they're selling in the store because if you like it, you can go back and get more. The one thing I always say to be on the lookout for though, occasionally, and it is it's often more with the whites, um, which is that you know a lot of times you'll find these really bargain bin kind of things on the end of the aisle and some right. stuff, and and look at the label, and if it's a 2014 Chardonnay, it might be right. a bit old, but yeah. you have two three years on whites. Yeah. That's generally the range. Two three yeah. years on whites, reds up to five, three five, yeah, on particularly good no, ones can obviously age longer. Right, than that. but nothing to worry about anywhere in that. Range, and so. and the other thing is, if you have wine, drink it. Otherwise, you it could be like me, and there's an earthquake, and the wine you've got in your cellar doesn't get consumed by anybody because it got broken. Yes, I, I it, just drink it. Break bottle in case of earthquake. <laughs> break bottle in case of earthquake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just drink it. Yes. All right, and we have one more. This is from uh, Charles in Lake Forest. That's down near Irvine. Huh. So, so he says, "How long can wine just sit on a shelf?" And not in a wine closet or something. And also, how long can those wines sit on store shelves? That's a great, great question. Yeah. And to a certain and there's different answers. It depends on the shelf. Yes, it, and it depends on the light, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, the two great enemies of of wine in any situation are light and heat. And in a wine shop, they frequently you've got the wines down by your feet, which don't get a lot of light and don't get a lot of heat, and those actually are being stored in the best probable right. conditions and that's within generally the store. Generally, the least expensive, and those wines are the least expensive the wines in the store. And the good stuff, especially in a supermarket, top shelf, eye level or above that, and sometimes they back up against the cold box on the other side. If you take a bottle of wine in a wine shop, if you pick it up and it's warm. Just put it right back down yeah. again and pick a bottle from an area that's cool to the touch. Yeah, same thing with the um, with the, really with the top shelf. You know, we we've had this. I should probably dig up that study again. But we had somebody that really did a, a, a very scientific look at how wine in uh, bottles was affected by fluorescent yep. lighting. Yeah, and, and again, the wines on the top shelf right. are closest to the lights, and they're getting the full shade. Yeah, you the can, full you, sun. You can always just reach around, take the second bottle in the shelf rather right. than the first. Right. And, you know, which and and so uh, again, he he wants to know how long can they stay on those shelves? Ideally, you wouldn't like the wine on those shelves very long because any winery will tell you. The way they want their wine stored is not the way it's displayed in most supermarkets. Right. Yeah. Uh, however, at home, if your wine's not in a, cl- you know, if it's not sitting around, it, you know, you've got 
months. Months. Yeah. And for many wines, years. Yeah. Yeah. But, in you know, even if it's not in, Until a, the earthquake in anything, comes. you know, closet's a good place to do it. But if, if you've got some just sitting in a shelf somewhere that's not hot and not getting, right. you know, and you're. And you're, Rick's not coming over. And I'm not coming over because those things go fast when I'm there. That's right. That's what happens. So. Yep. All right. Well, speaking of fast, this must have just felt like you sped through another <laughs> the round. The hours of, just uh, flew time. by. <laughs> it didn't really feel like seven hours, did it? <laughs> All right. So that's it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is the steadfast and uh, and patient Devin Cortez. Thank you, Devin. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Marin. Sorry about that, Jeremy. <laughs> Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us on their podcast lineup. Recommended podcast. Don't forget to look for us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Rick and Paul Wine. And remember, come join us at Vancouver International Wine Festival. Absolutely. I am telling you, February yep. 23rd to March 3rd, we'll be there for most of it. I'll probably be there for all of it. I will miss yep. a day on each end. Yep. Um, vanwinefest.ca or just Google it. And uh, don't bank. forget, yep. book a hotel through stayvancouverhotels.com and get a free ticket yep. to the major festivals. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's ignore the trends or predictions. Just drink wine you like. And what about the prediction that we're going to be a big hit this year? Never happened. Yeah. I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines are the wines you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us. Especially us.